Hey there, it's JVL. On The Secret Show with Sarah Longwell today, we talked about Ron DeSantis's big campaign reset, and then about no labels and all the nonsense they've got going on. Here's the show. We are going to talk about the breaking story by NBC News, which got the uh, the leak from the DeSantis world about how they are ready to reboot their campaign. And then we're going to talk about no labels. Sound good? Great topics. Yeah, good, good topics. Uh, so do you, which would you like to do first? I was going to well, lead with DeSantis. DeSantis. Yeah, let's do DeSantis first. Okay, so let me set the table. Yeah. Uh, the story, I'll just read you the, the lead to it. Uh, expect fewer big speeches and more handshaking in diners and churches. There will be more of a national focus than constant Florida references, and the mainstream media may start to get more access. In short, DeSantis will be running as an insurgent candidate rather than as an incumbent governor. This is from the NBC uh, report. There's a lot more in it. Uh, the reason I would like to talk about this is because uh, not I just want to dunk on them, um, but because this is deeply concerning to anybody who wants Ron DeSantis to be a viable alternative to Trump in the primary, which I think both of us would like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not not because we like Ron DeSantis, but to be clear, we would like somebody else to be the viable alternative. We would to like Trump. somebody else to be vi- right. I, uh, right. If Mike Pence was a viable to, alternative to Trump uh, or Asa Hutchinson, it'd be great, right? But uh, but the point is, if you're looking for viable alternatives, I think this is a sign that DeSantis is is in very deep trouble, and in a way, I think it's helpful because the sooner he, if it turns out that he's going to blow up, the sooner he blows up, the better. Because mm-hmm. this way, maybe it does give space to Mike Pence, who, again, is the hero we need, okay, not the hero we deserve. Okay, would you stop with the Pence stuff? Pence is not, <laughs> this, this is terrible. You're doing this to troll me with the Pence I, stuff. You know what? I am, in fact, writing a story for somebody else, not not the bulwark, about mm-hmm. Pence. And I agreed to do it purely to troll you. <laughs> Uh, it alarms me how much of your content is designed specifically just for you to make me nuts. Doesn't don't you enjoy the the specialness of having a writer of national political prominence who's writing content just for you on almost a daily basis? It is funny how I will I will like go catch up on your triads like days and days later and I will see that you have name checked me in them (laughs) as like specifically Sarah's wrong about and like I haven't even gone right by me. Uh, So. Anyway, I, I think it, it would be helpful if if DeSantis is not capable of beating Trump, then the sooner Republican voters know that, the better. Because Agreed. in a in a good world, that would give them time to go and coalesce around somebody else. Now, in the world we actually live in, what it probably means is that they go to Trump sooner. But uh, you know, we can't. So, well, I think I think that's that's probably right. That like one of the things I've I've talked about a lot throughout this is like how much Trump is people's number two choice like if yeah. people go off to Santos, they don't really go to nikki haley they don't yeah. really go to mike pence uh they might go to vivek um i will say though like uh a DeSantis implosion that is like a real clear implosion it does have a bunch of dynamics just even before we get into like the specifics of DeSantis's implosion i think it's worth thinking about if he's not the obvious number two like it allows somebody else to be tested in the national spotlight 
at a time when like there is still time. Like one of the things like so Tim Scott, let's just say that Tim Scott is somebody that I hate the least. Okay, I like object to, I still object to, but like in my list of how I object to him, uh, he's one of the lesser ones. Whenever I see him, like there's a couple of appearances he's done. He did one on The View where he was pretty good. I was like, oh, he sounds great. Uh, you know, he sounds like he could he could tell a good optimistic story. There's a bunch of other times when I see him and I'm like, you're terrible at this. You don't have a position on abortion. Did you not think you were going to get asked about abortion? Uh, why are you talking about baking regulations? You were just asked about abortion. <laughs> but I think the question is, is does Nikki get a chance to be sort of like, uh, you know, there was this this thing that happened um, not in 2016, in the election before. 2012, where, with yeah, everybody. Michelle Bach, everybody got a shot. Nano 999. Everybody, everybody popped a- to number one for two That's weeks. That's right. And yeah. like, it'd be nice to get a little bit of that to see if there's anybody else who could stick. I'm not super optimistic about that, but uh, DeSantis, DeSantis remaining at a low number two is the worst case scenario because then everybody just keeps fighting to get to number two, which means they're beating up on DeSantis, which means DeSantis is constantly being pulled down by the constant attacks. And so like either everybody's got to get out and give DeSantis the opportunity to do sort of a one-on-one or DeSantis has to implode and somebody else has to like other people have to be able to take a shot in the national spotlight to get some momentum. And Why see couldn't everybody viable. else get out and give Tim Scott a shot, right? I mean, or you that. could see, yeah, you could yeah, see one of those things. They won't do that until there's some measure of viability. Yeah. DeSantis is the only one who has the remotest measure of viability. I agree. And, and the other thing is DeSantis floating back down to earth so we have a muddle at number two does free people up to, if they choose to, attack Trump, Trump instead right. of going after DeSantis. Exactly. Uh, and again, the the optimistic scenario we're painting is unlikely. The most the more likely scenario is the people just coalesce around Trump sooner. But uh, yes. it, we believe that's going to happen anyway. And so if there's a ten percent chance that another thing happens instead, then I, I'm I'd be happy to roll the dice there. Yeah. Uh, so that's why we're we're talking about this because this is uh, this document is basically like a pre mortem of a campaign that. So here is a, a quote from DeSantis campaign manager, Genera Peck. Ron DeSantis has never been the favorite or the darling of the establishment, and he has won because of it every time. No one this race has been under fire more and won than Governor DeSantis. He's ready to prove them wrong again. Buckle up. That's, that's an actual uh, couple responses. DeSantis' team sucks. Ron DeSantis is absolutely the darling of the establishment. There's a reason Jeb Bush has endorsed Ron DeSantis and not Donald Trump. Uh, Uh I believe as much fire as Governor DeSantis has been under, Donald Trump has been under more. He's indicted uh, in criminal proceedings, two of them so far. Uh, And as for winning every time, I mean, Donald Trump won the presidency and Ron DeSantis didn't. Donald Trump has won two presidential nominations. Ron DeSantis won his first gubernatorial nomination literally because Trump endorsed him. I mean, this is all of which is to say that if this is the story that they think telling publicly will help them with Republican voters, then they're incompetent. Yeah. Uh, So here's the thing about this story. So, so it's important to note like why the shakeup is happening. So the thing what came out when their financial information came out, uh, it became clear that DeSantis is a few things are going on. One, they are spending at a really high rate. 
Uh, And so their burn rate is too much. Like they're actually, despite being one of the highest fundraisers, because their burn rate's so high, uh, they're actually in a cash crunch. They've had to lay off a bunch of people. So they laid off like 12 people, which when you start layoffs anywhere, a company, a campaign, it's a morale killer, especially when you do it in part because you're like, A, we're not moving in the, we're not budging in the polls, but also we're now in a cash crunch. One of the things contributing to the cash crunch is that uh, they clearly rounded up their most enthusiastic donors early. And so their big supporters have already all maxed out. And so the only that only works. So it's fine if you're all your sort of first tier donors max out, as long as you d- demonstrate momentum. So a bunch of new donors move in and are willing to max out. But their contributions have slowed down, right? Because people, the perception of him is that he is not as viable as people thought. And those things are compounding, because you you people think you're less viable, so you raise less money. You raise less money, people think you're less viable. Like that thing is a spiral, a death spiral. Um, and so there was a bunch in that story where the other thing that they said they were going to do is they were going to reboot their their messaging. Yeah. Uh, but I thought, and I, I, this is crazy. So there's like a it's like a headline like reboot to the messaging, and I was like, ooh, I wonder if he's going to stop talking about. Uh, you know, groomers in schools and instead talk about, you know, nope, that's not what it is. It's yes. just that he's going to talk about Florida less and national stuff more. Yes. And and an us against the world message. That's that's their quote. Is that new? Is that new? Is that a reboot? Uh, it's here's here's another. another oh, he's going to whine more. All DeSantis needs, this is Peck, the campaign manager again, all DeSantis needs to drive news and win this primary is a mic and a crowd. That's If that's their view, because they're, they're like, he's going to do more VFW halls and pizza ranches and fewer big speeches. Have they not seen their candidate with people? <laughs> that, that, I mean, that is literally not his, his strong point. And the, the truth is, what DeSantis needs to drive the news is the power of the governorship. Like that is mm-hmm. the way DeSantis was driving news was by taking executive or actions and hurting people in Florida that Republican base voters wanted to see hurt. And where has his his uh, lethargy in the poll started It is once he stopped doing that stuff and was doing like legislating with, you know, like the Disney fight was good for him. The the migrants you know, the migrants, the refugees being sent to Martha's Vineyard was good for him. Uh, the the trans stuff and yelling at high school kids and college kids about masks that was good for him in a limited way, right? In that in that it got him on Fox News to talk to audiences right. about who he was yelling at today. Yeah, right. Uh, this idea that like you know his real strength is just you know talking to voters five people at a time. Uh, I mean, again, if that's their plan, then that's a terrible plan. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things that uh, I was reading in Puck last night uh, around DeSantis world is one of the things that has that people say about their campaign, about DeSantis and Casey in particular, is that they are extremely paranoid about outsiders. And there's like a fair number of political families who are like this, right? People who feel like they got done dirty by leaks or whatever, they become paranoid. They basically will only rely on a very close-held group of people. But that also leads to insular thinking it creates an inability to scale when you want to go outside of Florida and you need a national campaign. Like you base, and it's like so they're very anti-consultant, which 
I understand, right? Like the political if these are the consultants they're seeing, then I'd be well, anti-consultant too. <laughs> yeah, but like you know, like the consultancy's a whole industry, and like you know, they don't want to pay them. You know, like whatever they've got their resistance to it, and that's some of that could be fair. Except when you're running a national campaign, like the, the, if you're going to run for president, you need a gajillion people who are running your state level stuff. Who are you know? You need a new warm. You got to rely on new people, and that's. And it's like, as a good executive, you got to bring in good people. Um, And so uh, they're unwilling to do that, which I think is leading them to sort of hunker down instead of expand uh, and amplify. Uh, But I agree with you, this idea that, uh, but you know, what's funny about the the smaller venues and the smaller events is also being cost driven. Yeah. They they, they make that point. They're like, we can do an event for only $940. That's right. Jeez. Which yeah. is a tough. Now you're in like a now you're in like a penny pinching mode of like, well, we've got to ration our appearances based on cost, which is also a terrible place to be when Trump can still fill stadiums. Yeah, I or towns as we yeah. talked about in the next level, right? I mean, this is, I, I if you're penny pinching at the level of vote, like physically getting the candidate in front of voters, that's bad, right? Yeah. Um, that that's really bad. One one more thing. Final uh, quote from a source familiar with the campaign's thinking. The elites have already picked their candidates, Joe Biden and Donald Trump. But the American people want a fighter who is not a creature of Washington and isn't afraid to stand up and take our country back. I don't know what mouth-breathing moron thinks that this is a message that can be sold to Republican primary voters, but it's insane. That that Donald Trump is the candidate of the elites who isn't a fighter, but Ron does like again, I am I'm not dunking on them just because I enjoy dunking on these people. But if if they would like to hire me, I could tell them how to run a better campaign, which is that uh, all those things Donald Trump says are great, but he didn't do them. And we need somebody who's going to really go to the mattresses and not worry about padding the his his bottom line of the Trump International Hotel and who's actually going to build the wall and put sharks with freaking lasers on their head in the Rio Grande River to kill as many migrant children as possible. That's what he needs to do. Right. Go, go, go from the super hard. And, you know, and look, I'm going to the president's done a lot of shady stuff, but uh, but I will pardon him on day one because I'm not going to let those those hippie communist BLM people win. I don't care. I don't care if Donald Trump broke a couple laws. That's what we sent him there to do. But I'm going to come in and. You know, if I had been president in 2020, you can believe me that those that stolen election would have been overturned. Yeah. Right. I mean, this is just just run as the like authoritarian plus. Maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. I think it probably won't work, but it's got a better chance of working than trying to convince Cletus that Donald Trump is the candidate of the elites. Yeah, well, I've got good news for Ron DeSantis, which is that Trump's going to be indicted imminently again. And uh so your your campaign reshuffle woes will be uh, out of the news. However, Donald Trump's going to raise a gajillion dollars over being indicted again, and will probably get a polling bump, uh, which is when DeSantis, at, during his reboot, will probably drop to third place. I, you know, why, why, why not? If you're Ron DeSantis, simply have as your response to to this stuff. Uh, you know, when Jake Tapper asks you, you know, about the the indictments, 
why not just go full YOLO and yeah, say, dude's a criminal. He's terrible you know what? at this. <laughs> I bet he did do it, but I don't care. I'd pardon him anyway, because I wouldn't, I'm not going to let those namby pamby socialists in the Department of Justice get a win. Why not just say that? Because you know what? That would be gold. Hmm. I mean, I don't want to encourage these guys to say things that, uh, is actually like I mean that's that's more insane. He's already saying insane things. Like already he is already pre-defending Donald Trump on this indictment, and that that's why when like they say campaign shakeup and reboot, I was like, oh, what will they do to change strategy? Will they stop <laughs> defending the president every time he gets indicted and become his little beta? Like you know, like no, that's not what they're gonna do. They're gonna keep doing that stuff. So yeah, okay. Uh, topic number two. No labels. So I texted you earlier to be like, have we done this yet? Like, I know we've talked about no labels a little bit, but I don't know that we've like gone deep on it. I I don't think we have. And uh, if we have, I don't think I don't think this is the type of thing you can only do once because this is a real threat. And I don't think it's going away. It feels more real every day. And with guys like Lieberman and Manchin and Cinema lurking out there and Larry Hogan doing his tease. And I, you know so much more about this world than I do. I cannot understand the psychology of any of the people in this space, except on the theory that they, they're doing their dirty tricksters who are really in it to help Trump. I can understand that, right? If if at heart what they want to do is like they're running a like sub rosa, like you know the truth is Biden is really bad, and uh, you know we Trump's good for business, and we give you know that I could understand. But this like, hey, look at this. Here's our map with the states we can win. We can do this. This is the time. Joe Biden is an unacceptable. Uh, but yeah, Charlie, Charlie's newsletter uh, yesterday about uh, the the. Supreme Court illegitimacy stuff, illegitimacy arguments coming, and you know Charlie's like, "Here's Joe Biden, the one, the one guy who is you know behaving reasonably and upholding norms on on all this stuff." And I was like, "Yes, yes, that's right." And no labels thinks that Joe Biden is too too unacceptable somehow. I don't understand. What are they thinking, Sarah? So I think so. I don't know what they're thinking exactly because uh, I don't really know. But I want to. Let's let's take let's take an uncharitable version and do that, and then let's take a charitable version. So I okay. think the uncharitable version is the one you just kind of got at, which is that actually this is a uh, Trojan horse for reelecting Trump, um, and that's what they plan to do, right? They plan to get on the ballot. They know that ultimately they'll hurt Joe Biden, and this allows people with clean hands to argue, listen, this is just about giving people more choice. Uh, this is about, you know, look, these two, you know, extreme candidates, uh, America, look at the polls. The polls show you that, um, you know, Americans are not happy with these choices, which Americans are chronically unhappy with their choices. Um, and so this is the, oppor- the, you know, this is the opportunity, but they know, they know that it'll reelect Trump. Um, actually that's, uh, I'm, I'm getting into actually a slightly more charitable version. The uncharitable version is actually, yeah, Trojan hearse for reelecting Trump. I don't think it's definitely that. Which would um, be bad for Joe Manchin, I think. It, it would be bad for Joe Manchin right, once if Joe he was Manchin, on the other side of it. 
Uh, no, I mean, right? if Joe Manchin wants to run for his Senate seat again, it's much better for him to have Joe Biden in office to run against than to have Trump in office running against helping the MAGA candidate against him. Right. Because then Manchin doesn't have a Biden Democrat to triangulate against and butch himself up against. Well, that assumes he's running for Senate and not on this unity ticket. Oh, right. Yes. Uh, yes. Right. Because I, I think I think the, right, the right, Manchin right. Hogan or the Manchin Huntsman uh, deal or Huntsman Manchin. I don't I don't know uh, who would be at the top of this Mansion ticket. Mansion cinema. Uh, yeah, whatever. Uh, but who's at the top of the ticket would matter somewhat. Um, but let's leave aside uh, the ideas. But like, here's the thing. So here, here's where I want to I, I, I want to explore the charitable case. That's right? what I want, because I don't okay. understand that. Right. So the uncharitable case, Trojan horse. The charitable case is a little bit of, sorry, what I was just saying before about uh, the Americans deserve more choices. Like in my world, the democracy world, there's a lot of reformers, right? A lot of political reformers who talk about things like ranked choice voting or fusion voting. And sort of at the heart of that is the idea that the two-party duopoly is is terrible for America. Americans deserve more choices. You know, the reason, the argument for ranked choice voting really is one of, if we had ranked choice voting, we could have more political parties and more opportunities for coalitions, um, a more European style government, right? And let's break up the two party system. I would say that a lot of people, and so like, okay, fine on its merits. I know you're sort of a ranked choice voting person. I am, I, a lot of, some of my best friends are big ranked choice voting. I am, I am agnostic on ranked choice voting. Okay. I, people talk about it like it's the end all be all. And I, I don't, I'm agnostic. So sort of, regardless of the utility, like the actual whether or not it would be good or, or bad, um, let's assume it would be good. Just the practical reality is that you can only pass it in places where, like like Maine, uh, like yeah. or Alaska. Alaska, where there's a lot of, poli- there's tons of political independence and a it's huge appetite work in Oklahoma. For- uh, yeah, you are not going to get this yeah. nationally. You might you're be just able to not. get it. In, you might be able to get it in blue states, honestly, but you're not going to get it in red states, right? I could see right. New York or California going to like because it's it fits with the like you know goo goo democracy reform types in in liberalism, right? Right. And so, but without so, if you don't have things like like ranked choice voting, right? Then sorry, the reality is that third parties, uh, unless they have this chance of winning a genuine chance of winning. Otherwise, they are pulling in their 20% from some combination of both parties, right? They are, uh, and so the question is, who do they pull the most from? Um, and I think No Labels understands that like a Joe Manchin run, the idea that it would siphon off, this is the, this is the problem for Trump. Trump's committed vote, people who want Trump proactively is like, 40% of uh, like of the country <laughs> like or you know it's like the uh, the yeah. always tr- like or of the of the of Republicans it would be Trump would still get 85% of the Republican vote yes and Joe might Biden probably get like 75% of the Democratic vote uh because there's a lot of soft Biden voters a lot of soft Dems in there a lot of hardcore and a lot of Trump conservative support. Dems in places like Pennsylvania Dems. and That's Wisconsin. Right. And if you give them a more conservative alternative, right, 
Yeah. They might go there. And so I understand why you want to offer more choices, but here's here's the thing that's that's really happening, which is there is not a huge appetite among voters for this sort of fiscally conservative, socially moderate. Like, I love it. And this is the thing. I am the no labels target <laughs> voter. So I'm sympathetic on some level to this idea. And look, if it was Bernie versus Trump, I think like, and they really came up with a dynamic candidate. What Like, I, I could, it is this idea. And, and But here's what's driving it. Sorry, this is the thesis. Uh, it took me a while to get here. It's donors. It's it's the money. So donors to efforts like No Labels are they are socially moderate and fiscally conservative, right? And they want to live in a world with candidates who are socially moderate and fiscally conservative. Um, they don't want high taxes. They want less regulation. They want uh, right. They're they're and and I, I'm I'm. Su- Supportive of this, like I am a not a billionaire, but I'm still support. Like there, when you're a billionaire, right? What you got you you got the good end of the stick, and you like the story of American capitalism, right? Because it's Works your story. Great. Look at that. Anybody can I, be a billionaire. Hey, listen, I'm, I love I love that story too. I love the, the stories the stories of American capitalism. Uh, that being said, um, the idea. Look at this like, guy. He started out with just a hundred million dollars from his father, and he turned it into a billion. What a great country America is! Yeah, right. So I'm not going to argue this part specifically with you, but I, I, what I, I am going to argue sorry. is that, like, I just want to troll you. Go ahead. The people, the people that 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 class of billionaires, like, they want to believe what No Labels is selling. No Labels is telling them these people, are, these two candidates, are deeply unpopular. This is the moment for. A third party. And these guys, you know, they listen to Larry Hogan, just like I do, and then Joe May, and they get the warm fuzzies because they're talking like, because they sound normal. Like, let me tell you, I would just say, whoever the no labels, if, if it was like a, a, a mansion huntsman ticket or a Hogan mansion ticket is, an, is a normie ticket. I'm for, totally. I'm probably for them uh, as, as like, general people like would prefer them and prefer their policies it ignores all political reality though and the biggest part of the problem is that what they will do is they will generate this is the this is the worst thing is that right now going into this election depending on where the economy is there's going to be a lot of what we're going to start we're going to talk a lot about double doubters okay People who don't want to vote for Trump and don't want to vote for Biden. And if no labels gets ballot access, and even if they don't field candidates, right? So let's say they they start out fielding candidates, they realize their ceiling is 12%, 15%, whatever, 20%. They're going to reelect Trump. They can see that in all of the polling, whatever, which is obvious to everybody else right now. But let's say it becomes obvious to them. They don't do it, but they're there on the ballot, and people just have protest votes and they just start throwing away and 4% uh, and they, they vote down, down ballot, which actually they vote down, ballot, but they, instead they go, they go. And like this happens, right? With third parties. This was the margin in the blue wall states uh, of people who went third party. Um, and these are the ticket splitters, right? These are the people who right. otherwise would vote Biden and then vote Republican down ballot, which is yeah. why 
the down ballot Republicans have performed better when Trump was on the ballot because uh, there are a lot of people, both in 2016 and 2020, who who couldn't make themselves vote for Trump. Not a lot. I mean, not not like 10 percent, but there was, you know, there was a small percentage of people and those people were decisive in the in the swing states. Yes, that's right. And also, it's like you can see, right, these are people who would be like, ooh, Mike Bloomberg is getting in. Like, they want one of their own in a lot of ways, Um, right? Like, they'll like, who's a banking CEO that would be great? Like, who's a great business person? We want that person. Uh, That's fine. That's not a person that is going to win over a majority of Americans, many of whom, like, I I was talking about this on the... I think on the next level about like the parties are in some ways quite weak, right? They're weak enough that they can be hijacked right. by uh, Trump or like insurgent forces, but they're strong in the sense that people have a lot of party ID and loyalty. Uh, and so like they just start out so so far ahead that the idea that you could just like run up the middle on a guy like Joe Biden uh is wrong. They're telling themselves, and they just talk to each other. It's like a lot of billionaires, and it's the no labels people giving them wish fulfillment. Wish fulfillment. They're saying it can happen. It could happen. And because these people, because the the donors, whatever, they look at Biden and they think this guy's too old. Kamala Harris is bad. You know, this this these guys can't win. They they view themselves right. They're entrepreneurs. They take risks. They believe in taking. So there's a bunch of of ways in which they are hardwired to want to believe that this is true. And there's a group who is willing to sell it to them. So let me give you a political science explanation of this stuff. And you tell me if it scans correctly or not. Uh, in the question of party weakness, I would submit to you that the Republican Party is much weaker and in the sense of being capable of taking over by an outsider than the Democratic Party because of the nature of its coalition, because it is so homogenous and the, the the party is really driven by a single demographic, which is uh, white men who are Christians. That made it easier for an outsider who could hit very well with them to take over the party. The expansive and diverse coalition that makes up the Democratic Party makes it harder for an outsider to come in and take it over because there are just too many. You know, you have you have white working class voters, you have African-Americans, you have liberals, you have suburban professionals. Uh, it's just too many different. The coalition is too broad for one person who way over indexes on one of them to come in and just own the whole party. That's that's political science. Part number one. Political science part number two is that a no labels, let's just take no labels out of it. A third party candidacy becomes viable in a world in which both parties have been hijacked by outsiders. And I think that this is true of the Republican Party. Now, after seven years of Trump, I think Trump is no longer an outsider. Trump now is the Republican Party. The Republican Party is Trump. But let's pretend in 2016, Bernie had beaten Hillary. And Bernie was an outsider candidate. He was not really a Democrat, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Bernie taking over the Democratic Party would have been, 
again, don't get mad at me and yell at me, but, but as a political science matter, would have been roughly the same thing as Donald Trump coming in, taking over the Republican Party. In that kind of world, a third party suddenly maybe is viable because your committed partisans don't really have a place to go. I mean, they could stay with their party, but they understand that the, the person who's running their party now isn't really one of them. The problem with the no labels or third party bid now is that Joe Biden is the dead set center of the Democratic Party. Like that's just where he lives and where he has always lived is right in the middle of the Democratic Party. So does that all make sense from a political science perspective about like the nature of the party coalitions and having candidates who who are centered within the party versus candidates who are outsiders? Hey again, it's JVL. The conversation goes on from there. If you want to hear the rest of the show, head on over to Bulwark Plus and subscribe. We'd love to have you.